Hello and welcome to The Maidcast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of The Maid's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits for your games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures and interviews like the ones you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Red. I'm Miles. I'm Chin. And I'm Anthony. This week, we are covering a bit of history about one of the most standout arcade games of 1983, Dragon's Lair. Dragon's Lair. This is going to be a fun one. Uh, it's, it's a really interesting game if you haven't checked it out. There's mm-hmm. many ports playable on like new-gen consoles as well, but the arcade standout was definitely one of the one of the biggest uh, standout of the time. I mean, there was games like like Pac-Man and Pole Position and Track and Field were like the standout games. Spy Hunter was one of the big games of that year, but they were all 8-bit and none of them were quite as standout as uh, the Laserdisc format of Dragon's Lair. Mm-hmm. But we'll get more into that in a little bit. But first, here's some news. So, uh, with your weekly update on Elden Ring progress, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. the <laughs> the unrestricted speed run is now under seven minutes. Uh, what I mean by that is that the unrestricted category allows for the zip glitch, uh, which was found recently in Elden Ring, which basically through a combination of lining up animation loops and some... Uh, issue with uh, transitioning between animations and uh, stepping forward during that, you can, in a like 13 frame window, uh, teleport vast distances just by blocking and walking forward. It's so crazy. If you have no idea of what it, I mean, it, even if you play the game, you probably will have no idea how it's working. You, it just looks like someone is doing some random stuff, looking at, keep staring at the same direction, and then you just pop in another pace and the boss is dead. It just... <laughs> mm-hmm. It really does look like magic. Yeah. It doesn't look like he's not playing the... It almost looks like he's cheating. I mean... <laughs> well, Elden Ring is quite a magical world, so it, I think it lends itself pretty nicely. But it's also such a huge map. I mean, I'm still surprised that it's seven minutes of how fast you can traverse the entire thing. Turns out you don't actually need to do that much to get to the end screen. <laughs> Apparently not. Just get good. You know, that's the whole theme of the Dark Souls. Any The Soulsborne genre, just get good. G, umlaut, D, good. Well, if you want to take a look at it, you can go check it out yourself. I'm sure there's a play. I'm sure you can check it out on YouTube, um, other video streaming services. But we also have a new delay for The Witcher 3's next-gen version. Um, did they have an idea of when they delayed it to, or is it just an indefinite delay? It is indefinitely delayed. Yeah, oh. they just have decided to have their own in-house development team to conduct the remaining work of moving The Witcher 3 to the next-gen, next-generation console like PS5 and Xbox. And it seems like they probably, they probably don't 
they probably are not too happy with the previous working team. I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying because mm-hmm. <laughs> given these circumstances and definitely delaying it and then taking control. So yeah, I mean, at least they didn't go kind of like the Rockstar route when they released the uh, the mobile versions oh, yeah. of all of the other ones and <laughs> just accept low poly slap ons of people's faces. So uh, maybe it'll be good. I I have faith in them just because I feel like they're definitely trying to save some face after the cyberpunk uh, launch. What are you uh, saying? Cyberpunk is good now. Yes, amazing. <laughs> it's, like, it's good. It is. It's really good now. It'll be better in four <laughs> years when I play it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it, it. Yes. It's a living world. It's very great. I mean, it's ve- it's very awesome. Well, well, I'm I'm holding out hope for them. I mean, I think they've felt the gravity of messing up with the launch, so I think they're they've taken it in stride. Well, we'll see. Uh, in other news, Pokemon Go developer Niantic uh, has a new game called Parado. Uh, it's it's more like a game that I don't know whether you have played some like Nintendo dogs or other mm. stuff when when it's on DS. So you you're yes. able to have your pet dogs in your in oh, your yeah. DS. I think they're just doing this game like Paradox for like AR version of it. It seems like they're putting more interaction between the players and the pets inside that. But it's a little. Meanwhile, it's it. I mean, it's Niantic. They're do- they're always doing stuff like Pokemon Go. Yeah, yeah, it'll be exciting. I mean, I played a lot of Nintendo Dogs when I was younger. Uh, I created my my little puppy that ran away in there, and I named him the same name. Oh, and it yeah, it was cute until until he just kept doing the same tricks, and he was trapped in my DS for a very long time. So. Uh, still very good. In other uh, in other new news, we have the trailer for Kingdom Hearts Four, which was released. Uh, brings Sora into like a cityscape, like real world, modern cityscape with cars. Uh, a giant heartless appears inside there, and there's another mysterious new uh new girl who's trying to send. Sora back to their home world. Uh, it's gonna be, it's gonna be interesting. I mean, I don't know if I'll pick it up right away. I don't actually play Kingdom Hearts, but looking at that trailer gives me some flashback flashbacks of some like early trailer for some games, which is called Final Fantasy Fifteen. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, very yeah. Uh, very much like that. It, I mean, it's the same people. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't end the same way. Like, yeah, I don't, like, I don't want to be in a hallway. I, I've like, I've still, I still haven't finished fifteen because I'm just enjoying the open world as much as I can, and I don't want to go back to. <laughs> I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to a hallway, and fight a game in a tightly compact area, but. The story I liked, it was a really cool 
it was a really cool world and environment. Uh, but we'll see with Kingdom Hearts 4. I'm, I'm very uh, curious. Not excited necessarily because of how 3 left a taste in my mouth. But we'll see. Uh, in other... Uh, and final little bit of news, we do have a new Monkey Island game. I believe it's getting remade onto new modern consoles now. This one is going to be really big news. Miles, uh, you are a resident uh, Monkey Island expert. Uh, would you like to explain to the people a little bit more about what this kind of means? So uh, on April Fool's Day, uh, Ron Gilbert announced that he was making a new Monkey Island game, and everyone thought, "Oh, okay, yeah, whatever, Ron. It's April Fool's. We're not gonna we're not gonna bite." Uh, a couple days later, it was revealed to actually be real uh, with a real trailer uh, for Return to Monkey Island. It's going to be uh, much like the first two Monkey Island titles. Uh, Ron Gilbert is returning. Dave Grossman is back to co-write. Uh, composers Michael Land, Peter McDonald, and Clint Bajalkin are writing the music again. So a lot of the original team is back. Um, yes, it's it's another modern point and click adventure game. Uh, Ron Gilbert has already done a couple of these in the past. Uh, shoot, was it him that did? Uh, uh, there was one that was done sort of in the same style and with uh, a couple of um, uh, LucasArts uh, 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 alumni, um, uh, Thimbleweed Park which I think I talked mm -hmm. about when we were talking about adventure games. Yes. Um, and so if this is, if the new Monkey Island is going to be anything like that, but with Monkey Island coat of paint on it, I am very happy. Uh, these adventure games still manage to be top notch. They bring back a lot of the old charm and a lot of new, uh, new polish. Yeah, it was pretty exciting. We heard a, at the last meeting for the maid, we actually heard someone like confirm the announcement and one of them was a, a friends of Ron Gilbert and then he was saying yeah he has uh, been keeping that from me for about mm -hmm. like four years five years <laughs> and then he I mean he said 12 years ago he was going to announce another game on April for April Fool's Day and he did it and yeah. no fooling it's coming out so he says this keep an eye joke out for 18 that. years in the making <laughs> yes it's going to be uh, I'm excited to check it out and get my hands in that world. But I think that's about all the time we have for the news of today. And then we're going to throw it over to a little bit of a history lesson about Dragon's Lair. So get your ears ready. Get your swords ready. Get those quick time event muscles ready to roll. And let's go through this laser disc adventure. Uh, so let's talk about Dragon's Lair. And here we are to talk about Dragon's Lair, which is a bit of an interesting yes. game. Uh, so where to start with this thing? What do you know about it? Uh, well, it was like it, it was one of the first games that was done, like hand-drawn cells. Um, it was also an expensive arcade game one of the first ones to require two quarters instead of one so it was an expensive game uh don bluth who was the uh an old disney animator uh he did all of the the cells for it, him and his company it's 
also notoriously a very, very hard game. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of pioneering a lot of quick time events that were just parts of games that we see now. The entire game is basically a quick time event. <laughs> so the the concept for it began uh, with Rick Dyer, uh, president of Advanced Microcomputer Systems, uh, which I believe doesn't exist anymore. Um, and he was inspired by a text game called Adventure. Um, and so uh, it sort of evolved into this device, I guess you would call it, called the Fantasy Machine, which is started off sort of as a rudimentary computer with uh, tape, uh, like actual paper tape in it that, that printed out basically what was happening uh, to mm-hmm. a video disc system uh, with uh, images and narration and voiceover and such uh and it played a game called the secret of the lost woods um which never got any traction um i think there's sort of an apocryphal story about Mm. a uh producer who was being pitched the idea and just walked out of the meeting uh halfway through yep so like i'm good but (laughs) eventually uh dyer got in touch with don bluth after watching the secret of nim which is a movie that uh, was directed by Don Bluth, who is a veteran Disney animator. He's done a whole bunch of movies. You've probably watched at least something of his. Um, yeah, The Secret of Nim. I mean, he did some, like, he did Rescue Rangers and a couple of the things like that. Shoot, did he, Secret did, of did he do the was... original Land Before Time? Oh, um, I think he did. That. Yeah. I mean, Any... yeah, I, I believe so, but continue. Don Bluth is a is a interesting person. Check him out. You've definitely heard of something he's done. Um, but so Dyer got, uh, Don Bluth's, Don Bluth's studio, uh, to do the animation for the game. Um, and so that sort of evolved into, uh, the final concept for, uh, Dragon's Lair. It was a full motion video game. So it was basically just, uh, linear animated segments, uh, entirely QTE based. So it would basically just swap between, uh, success or failure. Um, uh, pre-rendered cutscenes, uh, hand-drawn sequences. Uh, a single run with no deaths would last about twelve minutes. There were twenty-two total minutes of footage, which is about fifty thousand frames of animation. So, and I think there was something like fifty or uh, twenty. Like, I feel like there half of them was just death sequences. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of different ways to die. Dirk melting and turning into a skeleton, getting set on fire, falling into lava, yeah. falling into an yeah. endless pit. <laughs> Any so, imaginable death. So the basic plot was um, a sort of goof knight named Dirk. Uh, I can't Dirk remember. the Daring. Dirk the Daring uh, had to go into a castle um, to rescue the fair maiden Daphne. Um, the whole game had a $3 million budget, which while seeming to be expensive, uh, back then was kind of small for today, but they had, uh, no models for characters. They had no professional voice actors. They had to sort of use, uh, cutouts from various magazines to use as reference for characters. Uh, the only professional voice actor they had was Michael Rye, who narrated the track sequence. So, like, what plays before the actual game starts, which is, you know, like, hey, this is the game. This is what it does. Uh, 
here's a bunch of vignettes your your quest awaits come play Mm -hmm. uh that whole segment was recorded in a single 18 hour session which sounds honestly nightmarish um yeah (laughs) just a an entire full day of just sitting in a booth like just talking into a microphone and getting every little sequence done right and notes on every little thing uh, along that same line, uh, the music and sound effects were scored and performed by Chris Stone. Um, everything was done basically with a synthesizer or with a um, sort of an emulator. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it spent yeah, the, it all of the all of the music and stuff for it was very much like kind of like cutting edge for the time too. Uh, the the synth I forget exactly which synthesizer was used, but it was very classic nineteen eighties adventure with like synth synth strings, a little bit of keyboards, some horns, and a couple of compressed drum lines. Uh, it was very 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 exciting, very festive, and very fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but for all of this to be captured on a new arcade system this was like one of the first games uh after yeah this is one of the first games that was inspired by uh that used laser disc as uh its initial thing it was inspired by the game uh astron belt uh uh by sega which also used a laser disc to do like much higher quality graphics um, of everything that you were able to see. So, essentially, imagine being in an arcade in 1983. You're seeing games like Pole Position, Pac-Man, Spy Hunter, uh, just huge names in games like Track and Field, but 8-bit, and they're still fun to play. But And then this fully like animated movie-looking video game comes into the system, and you're able to actually check out essentially movie quality graphics kind of like we're seeing in a lot of today's video games just as a blanket but it's it was one of the most standout games like in the uh in the arcades lines just like stood up around it it was so popular to a point where people hooked up a second monitor on top of the cabinet so the audience could watch the movement and check it out like hour long, hours long queue times. It was an extremely yes. popular sensation. Extremely popular and expensive. I mean, it had all this new technology. It had like a large budget. It was groundbreaking for the time. Um, but it used uh, the laser disc format, which was a precursor to like CDs, the compact discs. But the way it does is it like for movies. It would read along the laser disc like in a linear fashion for going to like the next location and everything else. But for the game, uh, it was kind of like scanning multiple different areas of the disc back and forth, which caused a lot of extra strain. Uh, they were not like cheap laser disc systems either for the, each cabinet. They were uh, relatively high quality for the time, but with the extended like play use of just 
hours and hours a day of play and being left on. Uh, it caused undue strain on a lot of the systems. Uh, and like the the laser itself would break after about 650 hours of like total play and being left on. Um, later versions of the cabinet uh, ended, uh, eventually used like a solid state laser, which helped make it last uh, thousands of hours longer. Uh, but it was absolutely, uh, absolutely incredible to see. Uh, it, I have yet to see an actual cabinet of it in real life. That is one of the things that I would love to potentially get into the museum at some point mm -hmm. is a full cabinet of Dragon's Lair. Um, I mean, and the reception of it, I mean, it did come out at a pretty unfortunate time too. Uh, it released like right in the middle, right before the start of the uh, the video game crash. Uh, helped save it like a little bit, but it was already on such a decline at that point in in time. I mean, the saturation of different games that were available to play, and then a lot of like games just being released and essentially being like advertisements, like on the NES. These games were costing like fifty, sixty dollars back in the day, and then you find out it's just an ad for like Ovaltine or something. Uh, so people were kind of over the video games and like this, the oversaturation of the market and the lack of the lack of uh, new innovations. Uh, but later on in 1985, we started to see like, I mean, in 1983, when, sorry, when Dragon's Lair was released, it definitely saw like a bump up in people going to check this game out, even though it was also the first game to cost 50 cents a play and plays would last like maybe 30 seconds so it was like king quarter eater uh i mean i a, think i think part of the reason it had to be so expensive was that the the cabinet was just that much more expensive to maintain if it broke constantly yeah and you had to buy a new laser disc reader you had to somehow make your money back one to play one for maintenance mm -hmm. <laughs> But if you haven't uh, taken a look at this game, this is the layout of the castle that you're going through is quite the headache. I mean, you're just exploring this. Uh, you're exploring this castle, basically hopping over a castle that's falling apart. Floors falling out from underneath you. There's a there's a volcano within the castle at some point because there's lots of lava. Mm -hmm. Wherever this castle was made seems like a great construction decision. Uh <laughs> It's quite the incredible, like, uh, segment of game. It's, and especially, I mean, one of the big things about it is, like, they didn't really give Dirk any voice lines or anything. Uh, he has, like, one line close to the end of the game, and I think it's, wow, uh, <laughs> when he finally gets into the main layer where the princess is being held. Mm -hmm. But they made it just, like, a series of grunts so that it would translate for like overseas and everybody else they didn't need to have like an english soundtrack necessarily it could just be movements and grunts of different people so you can kind of put yourself in their shoes you didn't need to understand what they were saying you right just felt it viscerally uh it's a this game is groundbreaking for many many other reasons uh 
I mean, some of the maintenance. Yeah, I think wasn't there like a complaint about a lot of the maintenance people not like all of these, uh, all the maintenance people at all these arcades were just having to spend so much time like fixing it and replacing the laser disc system. It would run for a few days and then it would something in the laser disc system would break. It would be off, and those were, I mean, a laser disc, a new laser disc back and back then would even cost like six hundred, seven hundred dollars. So to put a new system in, you could almost potentially buy a new cabinet of another game for that price. Yeah. So, <laughs> was it worth it to have for the draw? Potentially, but I think it eventually paid off for all of them. Yeah. As far as like where the legacy that this has left as well, uh. Dragon's Lair has been ported to many systems over the years. I mean, it was ported to, like, the Coleco Atom. It was ported to the NES. It was ported to the uh, Sega. It was ported to a lot of different ones. But Spectrum, Commodore 64, Amiga, DOS, Atari, Apple II, Game Boy, SNES. It's, it's still being released on, yeah, it's still being released on systems now as, like, a package of, like, the trilogy of games that you can play. GameCube, PS3, 360, Wii iPad like it's if there's if it's got a screen this game has come out on it so you're saying I can you're saying I can play Dragon's Lair on my on my recorder on my zoom recorder with the pixel screen at least the nest port where it's uh <laughs> the original Maybe. nest port ended up just being a side scroller because yeah uh, they're like how are you gonna how are we gonna do the graphics on the nest they the graphics do look good but it's very slow movement, laggy inputs. Uh, it notoriously one of the harder games that you could mm-hmm. that you could ever check out. To the point where every movement that you do, everything kills you in one hit too. Even on the nest system, except for these like other enemies that have you a health bar, and then will take down just a little bit of your health, while everything else kills you in one hit. Mm-hmm. It's like why do you why do why do I have a health bar? If I just die in one hit. <laughs> Going beyond mm-hmm. the game, uh, there was a show based on it uh, that aired oh, yeah. in 1983, 1984. It didn't last very long. It was only a single season. Uh, but it was kind of the same basic concept of like, here's uh, dirt going into the castle. Uh, and then the the sort of interesting idea for that was that between... Uh, commercial breaks at the start of a commercial break uh, the narrator would come on and say what would you have Dirk do and then after the commercial break uh, you'd sort of pick back up and and like see where you left off so again it's not like super inventive there but it's a kind of way to bring the like QTE choice based gameplay into a more linear medium it's it's not perfect but I thought that that was kind of a cool note. Like they at least. I mean, it was that. a precursor to Door the Explorer. <laughs> right. Yeah. Choose your own adventure. You like you can absolutely choose your own adventure with this game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Most of the adventures are wrong, mm-hmm. and you die. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. At least you can do yeah. that. At least you have the choice. <laughs> at least you have choices. Uh. Yeah, this game has been has seen many iterations of other things going on before as well. Uh, most recently, there have been talks about 
a movie, uh, a movie version of this, which uh, with the blue th- Don, with Don Bloop's animation company, they did a like Indiegogo or a crowdfunding campaign. I believe they got, uh, I think it's like either seven hundred thousand or like seven or a couple million dollars to make this movie. Um, they uh, apparently they were in talks with Netflix uh, for negotiations back in twenty twenty. And there was uh, discussions about having Ryan Reynolds be Dirk the Daring. So we will see whether whether the production com- continues or not. Uh, IMDb says uh, to expect a release sometime this year. So keep your ears and eyes open if you'd like to see a little bit of video game history acted out once again by Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> well, I'll believe it when I see it. Yes, as 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 everything. I mean, but hey, you you now see uh, Monkey Island, a return to Monkey Island. So yeah, there is still hope. There is still hope. Um, Does the maid have a copy of the game? Like not the not the cabinet, but like do do we have it on Laserdisc? Uh, I don't believe we do, but that would be one of the that would be a crown- get. Yeah, yeah, that would be one of the crowning things to display in the museum uh if you know anybody who's like looking to preserve one or donate at least have it on display at the museum mm-hmm. send us an email to info at the uh, <laughs> uh that would like we're always looking for donations and anything that could help be preserved and displayed at the museum um but yet again we're gonna have i think that's a a little bit about all that we have for Dragon's Lair at the moment. Um, but Dragon's Lair is like a groundbreaking game. Uh, definitely uh, check out a playthrough of it if you want. You can find playthroughs on YouTube. You can check them out in many other different locations. Uh, but it's, a, it's worth giving a watch. It's not very long. I think the full thing is like 12 minutes or so for the entire playthrough from start to finish if you mm-hmm. don't die. Very fast-paced, uh, very eye-catching, uh, addicting, to say the least, about all this game. But And also, you were right about Don Bluth uh, creating Land Before Time. I knew so, it. Yes. Uh, so if you're aware, like Don Bluth animation style is... One of the best in the game. It's still hand drawn cells. It's amazing, amazing hand drawn animation. Mm-hmm. And Dragon's Lair was pioneering in a thing when you were having a little eight bit eight bit yellow circle munching on some some white little pixels. Uh and then you go see a, a fully animated knight fighting dragons and jumping over chasms and dodging a fire breathing dragon. To save a beautiful princess. Yeah, nothing really compared. It, it was a very unique standout. I mean, even with, uh, excuse me, uh, even with uh, Astron Belt, uh, it was which, which was also laser disc. It was still more like pixelated art design. Uh, very like it was very like two D linear, but it was still not quite as like fully fleshed out and animated like each of these cells were. Mm-hmm. It's also interesting just to think about 
having a game like this just randomize each encounter each different time it's more it's very much a nowadays it would kind of be like a play along movie uh but it it's leaves more to be desired uh for today's interactivity on games then there it's all it's it was definitely pioneering for its time mm-hmm. but we have evolved in many different ways since then but i think that's about it for the history of dragon's lair let us know if you have any more info and we'll talk about wrapping this up Mm -hmm. i hope everybody enjoyed the little bit of uh, fun facts about dragon's lair and some some of the history involved with that beautiful cell animated game uh it's still a really cool story and it's still hard as heck and fun to play but Mm. and hey it looks pretty it Uh, looks really cool it was groundbreaking at its time i don't think it's a fun game it's very hard it's it's very it's very hard You, you need ridiculous reaction time in order to take mm. care of this game but i digress it's still it still left its mark especially at the time um but before we close out this episode has anybody been playing anything fun oh. like, i've been playing elden ring i wouldn't necessarily classify it as fun it's cathartic <laughs> i started playing fun. uh i started playing deep rock galactic with my friends again uh a new season has started. They've got a battle pass and a bunch of new content. So it's it's uh it's shaping up to be fun again. Um to be fun again. Again. Well, <laughs> you know, it's so Deep Rock Galactic is kind of like Left 4 Dead. It's like those style of games where mm-hmm. um it's basically you just you get dropped into a location, you have an objective, there are hordes of enemies who come to fight you while you try and do your thing. It's fun. Uh, there's a lot of traversal mechanics. There's a lot of like uh, fun that you can have with communicating with players and gathering all the materials you can because you're 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 dwarven miners. You're you're mining in space basically, and the only the only issue with that formula is that the enemy variety doesn't change very much. There's not really like there are four or five boss encounters and you just cycle through them, but uh, the new the new content patch the new season added a bunch of sort of new styles of enemies and like new uh, new mission types. So there's a lot there's a lot more variety you can have with it now. That it's I do want to check that game out. I was also turned on to really check out Outer Wilds. Uh, so I think that's mm-hmm. the next little adventure, little space adventure that I'm going to be indulging on as well. Uh, that game that game does uh sorry what was the black rock no not deep, black rock deep rock galactic deep rock. do they have uh a rock themed uh soundtrack as well oh uh, the soundtrack yeah. is actually really good um <laughs> it's it's not doom uh it's not the new doom soundtracks but it's it gives me sort of the same energy of like this is like the composer did not need to go as hard as he did Okay. Like it is, then, it is, it is, it is good music. Every when, time they, every time they, he didn't, they don't need to go as hard as they did is mentioned. It's generally a, a yeah, good idea. Yeah. <laughs> no, when, when all the, when all the bug aliens are swarming you, the soundtrack is going hard. It's great. All righty. 
All righty. I'm going to have to check that out with you and hop on in a little bit, too. Um, yeah, no news for me. Seven hours trying to beat Radon and finally did it in Elden Ring. So it was very satisfying, mm-hmm. but hard. This game is hard. I mean, it's a Souls game, so yep. yeah, it's supposed to be dead. Yes. Still hard. <laughs> but I think that's all good. Anthony, have you been playing anything new recently? Uh, just been tackling Celeste, doing a couple stages here and there. Oh man, I cannot. Nice. Yeah, it's fun. Um, I'm liking the the narrative of Celeste. It's uh, I still haven't quite uncovered exactly what it is, but you know, I can tell that it's a very personal sort of story, an evolving mm-hmm. kind of like human, hu- the humanness of people and how our our negative sort of traits can affect us i feel is what the overall theme of the the game is but um i'm still just kind of going into it blind well that's good i feel like you'll have a a great time finishing that game it's a beautiful story and it's just a beautiful game uh it's it'll be very exciting i'm waiting to hear your final thoughts about once you actually get to the end and see what you think yeah yeah it should be fun it's, it's very fun very cute i love pixel pixel art so it's just that's just really amazing game mm-hmm. i love that art style i wish more games would do more like 16-bit pixel style thematics uh we have the capability to make a lot of really amazing games with that style now you're not limited to a uh 64 pack of colors it's going to be a very cool thing but i think that might be all the time we have for this episode uh so we want to thank you very much for listening to the museum of art and digital entertainment's official podcast if you have any thoughts questions corrections or general museum ideas please shoot us an email at info at the made.org We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the meet afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services and we continue that with future episodes every week. This week's episode was brought to you in part by Patreon donors Daniel J. Heenan and James Gray. Thank you so much for your support. Until next time, I'm Miles. I'm Red. I'm Chin. And I'm Anthony. Thanks. We'll see you next week. Thank you.